We'll be in Galatians chapter 5 again today. Galatians chapter 5. We'll continue through our fruit of the Spirit reading in verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the afflictions of lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we continue through our our look at the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we would uh, represent you properly. Lord, that our lives would show forth what is within us. And God, that we would live the way that you desire for us to live. So help me as I present these thoughts today, that I do it clearly and correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I said last week the fruit of the Spirit is a result of a proper relationship with Christ. What is given to us here as the fruit of the Spirit is things that should show forth if we have a proper relationship with Christ. And I quoted in uh, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And so if Christ is living in me, if I have uh, crucified my flesh, crucified myself, crucified the old man, and now living in Christ, what He has given me, then I bring forth these things. Last week we looked at love. Uh, love, agape love specifically that is given to us here. An affection or benevolence, a feast of charity that we should show forth to others and those around us. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, where if I don't have this kind of love, then I am nothing. We looked at joy, cheerfulness, or a calm delight. Uh, again, what one defined it as a constant delight in Christ, living with a joy, a, uh, a, a, a smile, so to say, an attitude of happiness, being cheerful. Why? Because everything in life is good? No, because God is good. And so living in that love and in that, that joy that God gives us and showing it forth to other people. Today, I'd like us to look at the next two, two uh, lists here in the list for us. Peace and long-suffering. Uh, one in which I desperately long for and one in which I need to do desperately better at in my own life. Let's look at these here this morning. First of all, let's look at peace. Peace, meaning quietness or rest. I talked about this morning just the quietness of my home. It's always that way when the boys are gone. Uh, it is much quieter. And, uh, and, and even if Katie's home, it's still quieter if the boys are gone. And, uh, and I did. I just sat there this morning. I got up, took care of the animals, um, did all that first, got that taken care of, and then got ready and sat down to eat. And I, I just sat there and reveled in the fact that, man, it is just so quiet and peaceful this morning. My kids, they're old enough now where they pretty much take care of themselves. You know, don't have to get them food and don't have to get them dressed. We just have to yell at them to get dressed and yell at them to eat food and those kinds of things. I mean, not yell, we're very calmly peaceful. You know, our kids are so obedient and we're such great parents. But, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, it's just this, this constant, like from the moment that you tell the kids to get up, especially for whatever reasons, it's always worse on Sunday mornings. Uh, but the moment we tell them to get up to the moment we get them in the vehicle, uh, it, there's just noise. 
whether it's happy noise or angry noise or grumpy noise or obedient noise, it doesn't matter, it's just noise. And this morning there just wasn't noise. Uh, you know, I, I yelled at the dogs a couple times because they barked and I was like, you know, be quiet. There's nothing to bark at. Um, a truck drove by and it's like, like what, what, what are you doing? So we had a conversation. But outside of that, it was very quiet this morning and very peaceful. In, in life right now, at least for me, and I'm assuming I'm not the only one, uh, there is a need for peace. The world is just loud and chaotic. Uh, and it's not just noise, it is just with everything happening. You scroll through social media or you listen to the radio or you hear a, a conversation or whatever it is and it just doesn't add peace to life. It is a very chaotic life. And everything that happens, and you know, my schedule right now is kind of wacky and, and, uh, and it seems like most nights I've got something going on. And so there's just, there, it's not to say there's no downtime, it just feels like I wish there was more. And, and a desire for a quiet, peaceful existence, it seems to be harder and harder to find. The Bible, 92 different times, mentions the word peace, uh, the same word that's used here. H.A. Ironside defines it as more than happiness. It is a deep-toned gladness that is unruffled and untroubled by all the trials of earth. And I liked that definition, a deep-toned gladness, unruffled and untroubled by the trials of earth. You know, there are always going to be trials, right? We read the verse last week in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation. There is, there's always going to be trials going on, but can I have a peace that is unruffled, that is untroubled, by the trials of this earth. I can. The Bible says that the peace that God offers is a peace, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, a peace that's, that's unexplainable. It passeth all understanding. It is, it's such a wonderful peace that no one else can create it, no one else can give it, and, and truly it's hard for us to even explain it, how peaceful God's peace is. And that is a peace that I search for. It is a peace that I've found many times. It is a peace that only God can offer me so that no matter what's going on in my life, it remains unruffled or untroubled. And I don't know about you, but that's a peace that I always desire. I don't want a peace that the moment something bad happens, it gets blown up. I want to be able to sit through chaos and be at peace. I want to be able to sit through trials and tribulations and be at peace. And God says, I am supposed to show forth this peace. It's supposed to be evident in my life. But I tell you, I have to have it first before I can show it to other people. And how do I get it? I get it the same way that I get that love and the same way that I get that joy. It's through God. God is the source of the peace. The fruit... Uh, is peace with God and peace with conscience. But it's also peaceable in how we act. So when we say the fruit of the Spirit, it starts to start in my own life with, with peace with God, me being at peace with God, me being at peace with conscience, meaning that uh, uh, in my obedience to God, I have that peace. 
And then it's me being peaceable to other people, to those around me, showing forth peace to others in how I act. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's where it starts. It says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through what Christ did for me on the cross, ultimately provides for me the ability to have that peace. Well, what did Christ do for me on the cross? Well, we've talked about it before, but He, he took on the penalty of my sin. He, he grabbed my sin, He threw it on His shoulders, and He says, God, punish me. And God did. He was nailed to the cross for me. We just sang the song, uh, Hold the Nail-Scarred Hand. I don't know that I've ever sung that song before. If I had, it's been once or twice. not been very often. Uh, but the idea of, I, if I need peace, there's a hand which I can hold who can offer it to me because of what Christ did for me. So Christ dying on the cross, me accepting the gift of salvation, allows me then to have access to the peace that God offers. The lost world, the, the people who have rejected Christ, or, I think it's the same thing, but or who, it's not as mean to say it, have not yet accepted Christ. Who've not been saved. They cannot experience this peace. They can see it in other people, that other people have it, but they cannot get it without Christ. You have to have Christ in order to have peace. So many people look at uh, religion and they see rules. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, uh, don't do this. And some of that is failure on religion's part. Um, but, but a lot of that is just a, an, an ignorance, a not knowing. Being... Uh, a member of God's family, being a child of God, being saved, provides so much freedom and not so much restriction. People see being a follower of Christ as being restrictive. Well, if I'm going to follow Christ, that means I have to obey Christ. And if I have to obey Christ, then that means I have to get rid of some of these things in my life. Or that means that I have to change some things in my life to be truly obedient to what God desires for me. And they see that and they go, well, that's restrictive. I, I, don't, I don't want to be restricted. I want to live free. I, I want to live without rules. I want to live without boundaries. Well, you can't live with Christ and not have boundaries. But why does Christ give us boundaries? It's for our protection. It's actually to provide us more freedom. It's actually to provide us more uh, reward. It's actually to provide us more good because of the fence, so to say, that he puts around obeying him. And that doesn't come natural in our brain. Fence meaning restriction, not freedom. But it's the simplest illustration, and I go back to it, is, is, is it's God saying, don't play in the street. I don't want your rules. Don't play in the street. I don't want your rules. I want freedom. I want to play in the street. Don't play in the street. Smash. Right? It wasn't a restriction. It was actually a freedom. If you play in the street, you're restricted because <laughs> you're going to die. 
But if you play where I tell you to play, you're going to be happy, you're going to be free, you're not going to die. So looking at this idea of following Christ, because I want peace and I believe that you want peace. But some people will look at it and say, well, in order for me to have that peace, then I have to follow God and I have to do what God tells me to do. And, and well, God says that I can't do this and God says that I shouldn't do this and God says that I need to do this. You have to look at the situation with an adult mind, well, actually with a child's mind and a childlike faith and say, God says that if I follow Him, He will give me peace. He'll give me joy. He will give me needs that I have, fulfill my needs. Uh, He'll give me protection. He will give me guidance if I follow Him. If I choose not to follow Him, then I get to enjoy some things. But if you look throughout history, or maybe you know people in your family or friends who are doing those things, see how much joy they really have. See how much peace they really have. See how much satisfaction they really have. I, almost every celebrity that I've ever heard ask the question, are you happy? The answer is no. They're millionaires and they're famous and they have anything they want, it seems. But when asked, are you happy? The answer is always no. Happiness cannot be found in this world, not lasting happiness. You can find happiness for a moment. You can find happiness for a year. You might be able to find happiness for several years. But ultimately, that happiness ends when it's built in something in the earth. So the things of God bring me lasting joy, lasting fulfillment, lasting satisfaction. And one of the things that comes with the obedience and following Christ is this peace that God offers that no one else can offer. And it starts, it becomes available when I first place my faith in His saving grace to save me. Ephesians 6, it says, as it goes through the armor of God, one of the things is your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel brings peace with God. Uh, Accepting the gospel that Jesus Christ came to earth He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again victorious three days later. That's the gospel. That brings peace, peace with God. It ultimately brings peace with self. The gospel allows me to live freely, knowing that my sins are forgiven, that my past doesn't have to drag me down. Knowing that I have a God who loves me and a God who cares for me, that brings peace within myself And the gospel brings peace with other people. Sharing the gospel and loving people and and biblically following God in the command to share the gospel, it will bring peace with other people. You know, we can fight about politics all we want, or we can find peace with the gospel. We can fight about personal standards all we want, or we can find peace with the gospel. We can fight about all kinds of things if we choose to, or we can find peace with the gospel. You see, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's a result of my relationship with Christ. 
And just like anything else, if I don't have a proper relationship with Christ, I am not, neither going to find the peace that God offers, nor am I going to share the peace that God offers. I will not be peaceable to other people around me. I will not be a peacemaker, as God says, blessed are the peacemakers. I will not be a peaceful if I don't have a proper relationship with Christ. And it's why I sit here and I watch as so-called Christians act in a way that is not the way that God says we should act. And we expect people to respond to that? What it shows me is that person doesn't have a proper relationship with God. But be careful looking at other people so much and judging them. It's most important that you look at yourself. How do I respond? How do I interact with those who disagree? How do I uh, um, uh, talk with those in whom it seems like there is nothing that we have in common. If you work in a job that has co-workers, you have people around you, in most cases, that you don't like, that you don't agree with on anything, that you can't stand, how do you respond to them? If you have a proper relationship with Christ, you're going to show forth love. You're going to show forth joy. You're going to show forth peace. And they may not return it to you. But it's a fruit of what you are and how you behave. And a result of a proper relationship with God will be a peace. Peace that we, that we have and peace that we share. Churches failed over time to produce a product that isn't inward. It's only outward. Religion has done this, not just Baptist churches, but all religion does this. It promotes an outward action without actually having an inward change. And so we tell kids and we tell teenagers and we tell adults, you need to do this to be Christian-like. You need to go to church, which, by the way, the Bible says you need to go to church. Uh, you need to read your Bible. The Bible says you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. The Bible says you need to pray. But we get to this point where we, then we get into these other things. Um, I've seen people who you need to dress this way. Uh, I've seen it as weird as your hair needs to be combed this way. And I'm thankful I didn't grow up in that environment. <laughs> hair style had to be a certain way. It had to be a certain length, couldn't be so long, but whatever. It's weird stuff. Anyways, um, but we get to this point where we say you have to look the part. And they don't care if you actually are the part, they just want you to look the part. And then over time that transitions to where we get so far away from just obey the Bible to obey us. And then the next thing you know, we got all these churches around, around America and we're thinking, well, why is America going to the garbage we got all these churches around here. Well, if I can be blunt, it's because the churches are garbage. And I'm not talking about the mega churches, although I feel that way <laughs> for other reasons. I'm not talking about uh, the Joe Olsteins, although I feel that way. 
I'm not talking about the other denominations. I'm talking about us. And we must never be at that point where we're saying, obey us. It should always be obey God. And we have to understand that in order for us to have this peace, it's not about doing actions. It's about obeying God. You can't attain peace by serving in church. I've seen some of the most unpeaceful people serving in church. Say, well, it's it's good to serve in church. Yes, it is. But why are you doing it? You can't give all kinds of money to good causes, to church or uh, causes of the church or other good charitable causes and find peace. It won't work. So many people in this world try to buy peace. You can't do it. It comes one way. By having the proper relationship with Christ. So how do I have the proper relationship with Christ? Well, it's those things we've already talked about. It's the, the start of it is by reading your Bible. Why? Because the Bible is God's Word. And it teaches you about God. And it teaches you what God desires for your life. By praying. Why? Because praying is a conversation with God. And so we are talking to God and God is talking to us. You want a relationship with God? You've got to talk to Him. And we go to church. Why? Because if you're in the right church, if you're in a Bible-preaching church, then you're hearing God's Word taught and preached and talked about and, and discerned, is that a word? Deciphered, given, so that you can learn more. That's where it starts. So we can learn more about God, so we know how to live the way God wants us to live, so that ultimately we can be what God wants us to be and produce the fruit that God wants us to produce, which includes peace. You want it in your life, you have to have the proper relationship with God. And a result of that will be sharing it with others, being peaceable to other people. Peace. Number two, we're looking at long-suffering. Long-suffering, the word used in the Greek, and I hate saying that because it makes me sound hotty toddy. I don't know Greek. I looked it up. Uh, in the Greek, the, the word literally means fortitude or patience. I love that. Fortitude. Got to have some fortitude to be patient. It's not for the weak. But guess what? I'm weak. Where do I get my strength from? should be from God. And God gives me what I need to be long-suffering, to be patient. You know, the Bible only mentions this word 14 times. I would have thought it was more than that because I think I, kn- I know all 14 times it's mentioned. I thought, oh, wow, I would have thought it was more. 14 times. One commentator defined long-suffering to endure uncomplainingly. I love that. To endure uncomplainingly. It has the the built-in of fortitude in there, doesn't it? To endure. Uh, It's not easy. Patience, for most people, is a hard thing to come by. To endure uncomplainingly. Patience defers anger, Matthew Henry says. 
2 Peter 3.15 says, Account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. God is patient so that more can and will be saved. He is the example, right, in all these things, in love and joy and peace and long-suffering and so forth. Christ is our ultimate example. And it says that uh, we must account that God is long-suffering, which is salvation. For if God was not long-suffering, you and I wouldn't be here. I'm not sure if you read your Bible, but uh, there are a few stories of some people who did some bad things. <laughs> and of a world, and of a community, and of a society, and of a, uh, 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 of, of a surrounding that is wicked and evil. Back in the, uh, the uh, early books of the Bible, we read about the flood that comes as a result of uh, a wicked world. And he spared Noah and his family. We see uh, a city, two cities that are destroyed because of sin. And only a few were spared. So we know that God is capable of destroying this earth whenever He desires to do so. But He is patient. Why? Because of salvation. When we think about being patient or long-suffering with people around us, I'm not sure how often our minds go to salvation. But because God is patient... It opens the door for salvation. It provides opportunity. Whereas if God wasn't patient, He would have destroyed the earth a long time ago. We wouldn't exist, wouldn't be here now, would have never been saved, all those sorts of things. You look at the earth now, you say, boy, it's a wicked, wicked world. It is. It has been, by the way. Uh, but it is. It's a wicked world. And, and we've talked about this before, too, but it's... Sometimes we get so caught up in saying, God, come now. God, come now. God, come now. Wanting God to return and, and rapture us up to heaven and, and, uh, and start the, the, end of the end of times that we read about in Scripture. When we should be saying, God, please wait. I still have a cousin who's not saved. God, please wait. I still have a neighbor who's lost. God, please wait. I still have a coworker who's never received your gift of salvation. God, please wait. We're so quick to say, God, come and judge. But thankfully, God is long-suffering. And He was patient enough in my life to allow me to grow and hear the gospel presented and receive it. He's been patient enough in my kid's life to let them hear the gospel and receive it. And how selfish and how wrong it is for me, I think, this is my opinion, to say, God, hurry up and come. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, patience, enduring uncomplainingly. 
1 Peter 3.20 says, Once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. He was patient in the destruction of the, of the earth at that time until there was a way for salvation for Noah and his family. And he's patient now and he's giving us opportunity to share the gospel. He's giving us opportunity to preach God's word so that more can be saved. Would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1? I want to look at two, two different passages before we close out today. 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says in verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Here he says Jesus came to save sinners and I am the chief of sinners. This is not a prideful boast, right? He's saying, I'm the worst. And he says that Jesus saved me to show forth His long-suffering and a pattern to them that would come after to believe on Him. Paul was a wicked Wicked man. He was a vile man. He was a violent man. He was a selfish man. And God saved him and turned his life around. He became one of the more well-known preachers in the Bible. Many people strive to be similar to Paul. But one thing that Paul never forgot is where he came from and where God had brought him from how God changed his life. And I believe truly that Paul looked at his own life and thought, if there's anyone unworthy of salvation, it's me. I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but Kim, when she got saved, she said, uh, she said I was waiting till I felt worthy. And I realized it probably wasn't going to happen. <laughs> None of us are worthy of God's salvation. But all of us are welcome. Why? Because God's long-suffering. He desires for you to be saved. If you're not saved, God wants you to be saved. And Paul, he used Paul as an example, a pattern, so that others could see his long-suffering ultimately led to Paul's salvation. I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at, we'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 4. We know that God is long-suffering. We know that uh, God loves us and He's patient with us and He forgives us. We know that, uh, that as a result of our proper relationship with Christ, we too are supposed to be long-suffering. We need to be long-suffering to others. Ephesians chapter 4 
verse number 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Included in the list here of the things that he gives to us, lowliness, humbleness, meekness, we'll look at that uh, with the fruit of the Spirit, the long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. We are, as children of God, if you are saved, if you are saved, we are commanded to be Christ-like. I know it gets frustrating because the world will will tell you you're not being Christ-like if you disagree with them. And, And I always say, you obviously have not read your Bible because... Christ disagreed with a lot of people in his walk on this earth, and he still loved them. So I know it's frustrating because you'll hear people say, well, you're supposed to be like Christ. You're a Christian. You're supposed to love like Christ loved. And we are. I agree with their, what they're saying. I don't agree with what they mean, <laughs> typically. But Christ is our example. So we are supposed to love as God loved. And we're supposed to be long-suffering, to be patient as God is long-suffering and patient. And we seem to always look around us and expect people to be where we are. Not taking into account their biblical teaching, their biblical knowledge, their relationship with God. We just say, you should be as good as me. You should act the way that I act. I started pastoring at age 26, and uh, uh, I learned very quickly that I don't think there was anybody in our church that acted like I acted, which was good in many ways. But you start to measure people up to you. And because they're not as Christian as you are, because they're not as godly as you are, because they're not as obedient as you are, because they're not as smart as you are, there's something wrong with them. And then we get frustrated, and we just kind of push them off, or we yell at them, or we whatever. As we strive to help people, as we strive to reach people, We have to go in with a mindset of patience. There's a time where we were taught it needed to be right then, right there. Make it happen, Captain. All right, let's get them saved and then cut their hair and change their clothes and change their music and change their TV like overnight. I hate to break it to you, that doesn't happen for everybody. But if we'll go into with a desire to help, with a desire to reach, and go in with a, a mindset or a, an attitude of patience and truly love people, love them for who they are, love them for who God desires them to be. And we come in and we, you know, there's a million different ways, but you come in forming a relationship. Just being a friend, 
Just being a neighbor. And as the Lord allows, share the gospel. And if they receive the gospel, great. And if they don't, don't get mad. Don't get frustrated. Be patient. And every time the Lord allows to share the gospel, and you show forth in your own life who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. And when they're saved, don't expect everything in their life to change overnight. Be patient. Teach them. Show them from the Bible what is right. Encourage them to read their Bible and see for themselves. Bring them to church with you. But be patient. Look at the disciples and the growth that was had in, in their time with Christ. It wasn't that much time if you think about it. Um, it was a lot of days, but not a lot of years. And we see throughout the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see, and even into Acts, we see these disciples and we see some of their failures. Their lack of faith. We see their sins, some of them. We see different things go on, and you don't see Christ. You see Him, if I can use the word frustrated, you do see Him, you know, guys, seriously. <laughs> I asked you to pray. Why are you sleeping? But you don't ever see God screaming and yelling at the disciples. You see Him patiently training and teaching and, and talking. And you'll see when, when they aren't getting it, if you'll read through the Gospels, you'll see where Christ will add in a story to help them learn. Patiently. The same Jesus that was going to be nailed to a cross carrying the weight of those disciples' sins patiently trained them, patiently taught them, patiently loved them. You and I aren't going to get nailed to a cross. You're not going to have to carry the weight of your neighbor's sin. You should be able to be patient with them. Christian brothers and sisters who are uh, maybe not living up to what you think they're supposed to be doing. Be patient with them. Love them. Pray for them. Help them if, it's, if you're able to. But be patient. I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going we're gonna to realize we were wrong about some things. Now what, I don't know, because I don't feel like I'm ever wrong. But, uh, but I, I just know that I'm going to get to heaven one day, and I'm going to see somebody in heaven, and I'm going to be saying, how did they get here? I don't know, you know, eternity's a long time. I'm not sure what all will be discussed and how many questions we'll have in heaven. You know, we always think about, well, I'm going to go find this guy and ask him about this, or I'm going to go, whatever. I don't know that we're actually going to do that. But if we did, I have a feeling that if I went and said, hey, Jesus, uh, you know, I was on earth, I was always taught, and I always taught this. And a lot of people disagreed with me, or some people disagreed with me. Was I right? 
It won't surprise me if God says no. <laughs> I was always taught that Christians can't cheer for the Cowboys. Well, I asked that question in heaven, probably not. But I could be wrong. Don't tell my kids, but I could be wrong. You see, we live, this earth, we live on this earth and we, we live life and, and, and we strive, I believe, in good motives. We strive to be right with God and we want other people to be right with God. But in, in our desire to, to, for them to be right, we're not very patient. And God has been so patient with me. And if I have a proper relationship with God, I too will be long-suffering, patient, endure uncomplainingly, defer my anger, and just love people patiently and allow God to do a work in their life. Now I pray for them and I teach them and if they'll allow me, I train them. But at the end of the day, I have to be what God wants me to be. And he says, a fruit, a result of your relationship with me is long-suffering. Do you have peace today? Are you being peaceable today? Are you patient with others? A proper relationship with Christ will produce fruit. And that's love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And we'll look at more again next week. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I know that we all desire peace in our life. But Lord, I'm not sure that we desire enough to be peaceable. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand how to get that peace that you offer but Lord, also how to be peaceable to others. And God, long-suffering, what a wonderful picture, what a wonderful example you are to us in being long-suffering. And God, may I be able to understand and apply into my life the need for me to be patient with others. And God, I pray that I will take from your example and learn from your word on how to better be long-suffering. Ultimately, Lord, the desire is to be what you want me to be. So I pray for your help. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I'd like to ask a couple questions.